let's join in prayer for this day and for the brethren here. Almighty Yahweh, we come before you and on this first day of the feast. We pray that what we do here and say here would be pleasing to you and that what the lessons that you have for us would would be deeply embedded within us, that would be remembered as we strive to follow and learn what your feast days mean and why we do them. We thank you for the many who have come out, for those who are watching online, who might be listening in the future. We ask that you give them a special blessing too as they learn of you, the words that you gave to ancient Israel carried on through the New Testament and on even into the kingdom. We pray that you'll watch over those who are traveling and those who have come to the feast, that they would be a special blessing as they come and honor you. And also those that have a special need as well in their health, whatever issue they might have, that you would be their Yahweh Rapha. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. may be seated. Well, if you told somebody that you're eating unleavened bread, having observed the Passover this week, they'll probably ask, why, are you Jewish? Now, if you were to say, I went out to look for Easter eggs yesterday morning, they're going to say, why, are you Christian? Everybody knows Easter has nothing to do with the Bible, I guess. But I remember back in the church, we used to do that. We used to go and look for Easter eggs in the morning, then go to church to, you know, right afterwards. You know, putting leavening out of our homes and out of our lives, basically, for a week, is not just a Jewish act, a Hebrew exercise, or an ancient peculiarity. It's an observance that Yahweh commands in Leviticus 23, and he says, these are my feasts. Leviticus 23.2, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, concerning the feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. So if you missed it the first time, he repeats it. These are my feasts. Eating nothing but flat bakery goods for a week may seem strange to our society, and it is. But a biblical command is that we do so. But then most Bible commands are foreign to people today. Even the Ten Commandments, you know, they don't throw them out of the culture, get rid of them. They're offensive to me when I want to do what I want to do and not have a conscience. So how do Easter bunnies laying colored eggs honor the Savior's resurrection? You know, the egg has been an ancient symbol of fertility worship for 4,000 years or more. It's one of the oldest symbols of pagan worship. And our culture is still hung up on it. If you think it peculiar that rabbits and eggs are central to the Savior's resurrection, after all, this is a world that also folds Santa and Rudolph into a celebration of his birthday. So why do observances of Yahshua's birth and resurrection need pagan mascots. Ever wondered about that? The believer must have a scriptural basis for everything he does, everything he believes, and that's why we're always digging into the word. We always want to know what the word says. We get into some deep things in the Bible studies, learning 
nuances of a passage that we never figured before were there. It's a, it's a constant thing, and the Bible is a living book. It just Every time you get into it, you learn something new. That's what I find so fascinating about it. The message of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is it's unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And if we desire rewards from the only true living Elohim, then we've got to do it his way. No other way is going to work. Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seems right to the man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In the New Testament, the weekly Sabbath during this feast is the final day that Yahshua spent in the tomb. As we know, the end of the day, the end of the Sabbath, he arose. The women came to the tomb after sunset, and he was already gone. Yet, what is the practice for Easter Sunday? Go sunrise. Go sunrise, because that's when they think he arose. Early Sunday just happened to be when they got there, not that he just left before they did. But when you don't know that there are annual Sabbaths as well as the weekly Sabbath, then you can, your whole understanding of that comes clear. And you won't be misled when the scriptures talk about not having the body remain on the tree on the Sabbath day. Because that day was a high day, not the weekly Sabbath. So throw out Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning has nothing to do with it. Let's go back and read the feast account in Exodus 12, verse 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So right away, you get rid of anything that's leavened, put it out of the house. And as we said before, you can't put it out in your garage, and at the end of the week, take it back in again, because leavening has significance. It's symbolic of something you're wanting to get rid of, and you don't want to bring it back in afterwards. And, of course, that's why we, you know, use it up before the feast. Eat it up before the feast. You don't have to throw it out. And in the first day, there shall be a holy convocation, and in the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, That only may be done of you. So there's a little bit of leeway in this feast about preparing food. Unlike the Sabbath, there's a little bit of leeway. So you can prepare so that all men may eat. Yahweh is very adamant about eating unleavened bread. And that's one thing we always emphasize is you got to take in the unleavened bread as well as move out the leavened bread. So every day you want to have a piece of leavening. I'm sorry, unleavening. Wow. New doctrine here, new doctrine. <laughs> and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever, forever. Well, offerings refer to um, something that we do, we give to Yahweh. He says, you shall, oh, let's, let's go back uh, in the first month on 14th day of the month. You shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day. So it's, it's a week-long observance. First, the end of both, the first and last, are high days. And no leavening should be found in your house. If they are, 
You'll be cut off from the congregation. Exodus 13.3. Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, Yahweh brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came you out in the month of Abib. Abib is a specifically defined month. It's a month of the greening ears, of the maturing ears of barley, of grain. So if you keep it a month later, you're not in Abib, by definition, because by that time, it's old. It's old grain. It's probably half fallen off on the ground. Who knows? But it's not Abib, and that's the point. Those who keep it a month later are not in Abib, and that presents a problem. So you've got to go by the prescription Yahweh lays out that you look for the new moon of Abib. That comes when the barley is developing in the ear, enough that you can roast it, and there's something there, not just water. It starts to you know, become grain, uh, edible grain. But why avoid leavening? Why not chemical-laden food or saturated fat? Things that aren't good for you, like things that people give up for Lent. They give up the craziest things for Lent. Why? Why not focus on some sinful practice? And why do you wait till Lent to do it? Never made sense to me. Why don't you get rid of it immediately if it's bad? Yahweh's observances are different from man's in many ways and make a lot more sense than man's in many ways. And Yahweh tells us what he wants us to observe and then we don't decide what we want to do. We do what he says to do. True worship and every other kind is so differentiated by Yahweh making the rules as opposed to man making his own rules. The church came along, it started tweaking things and for 2,000 years has developed a whole system of its own worship has no hardly any bearing on what Yahweh commanded. So let's discover what leavening means and then we can see Yahweh's reasons for dealing with it and taking it out this week. The first seven chapters of Leviticus detail the different offerings Yahweh commanded Israel and us in spiritual ways. In this law of the offerings, Yahweh specifically prohibited leavening in any offering that was burnt. Why? Because burnt offering was what he consumed, symbolic of what he consumed. The burnt offering refers to, of course, a a burnt animal sacrifice. The burnt offering signified consumption that Yahweh did when the animal was completely burned up. And when the offerer placed his hands on the animal and the priest slew it, He is symbolically transferring sin onto that animal for himself. And it means his participation then in the animal's death. The leaven loaves and the first uh, feast of first fruits, commonly called Pentecost, were were eaten by the priests. So if leaven strictly represents sin, obviously it would have not been placed in the offerings that the priests were to eat presented before Yahweh. We have to look for meaning elsewhere. And so we look at the characteristics of leaven. What, how does it act? What does it do? The typology, the metaphor, and, and, and even the way leavening acts. 
The main thing leavening does, and it does quite well, is to spread throughout the substance, the the dough, whatever it's leavening. In Matthew 13.33, Yash referred to this process in a parable about the kingdom. He says, another parable spake I unto them, or spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman, basically, meaning the assembly, took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Leaven here is symbolic of growth. The kingdom grows as this leaven is put in to the mix. So the truth spreads like leavening. It grows and it grows and it grows. I remember my grandmother making bread. You have never in your life had bread like grandma could make. This was unreal. We would go down and visit her. She lived about 50 miles away. So, you know, as kids, we'd go down there. And uh, she had maybe four loaves of just made bread. And I don't want you to get hungry for 11 bread. But I got to tell this because by the, by the time we hit the sack about 10 at night, all those loaves were gone. I mean, we, it was just it was a, a fest, a, a, really a feast. It was good. But, but I remember her sprinkling, you know, uh, she'd put everything in it. She's a little oatmeal, a little of this, nothing measured, just, oh, my goodness. But whatever she used, it was unbelievable. And I remember her making this dough. I remember kneading it and kneading it and twisting it and mixing all that yeast in there and putting it in. And we were just waiting for the oven to hurry up and get that bread done. It took a few while, a uh, little while, but... Uh, That's what the truth does. It proliferates. As friends tell friends, brethren tell relatives, their friends, and the truth goes out from there exponentially. We're finding great success in the electronic outreach that we do here at YRM and publishing as well. But in a recent survey, we also found that many people learn the truth through relatives and friends. That's also a major way. That doesn't cost anything. It just takes a little of your time and a little of your desire to make Yahweh's truth known to those who need it. With the leaven and three measures, Yahshua was emphasizing this action of leavening. Three measures amounts to about 50 pounds. There's a lot, of, a lot of bread there. How it works, how it expands, Yahweh's kingdom will grow in the same way. It grows and grows and grows. And so we are the first fruits of many brethren. You know, the, the harvest motif goes through the whole scriptures. It's, it's there from beginning to end. And when you start calculating things and ignoring things like the Abib, and you, you calculate it on conjunctions and so forth, you're ignoring principles of truth that Yahweh has by this symbolic uh, harvest, planting, growing, harvesting, and then first fruits. Matthew 13, 31 shows how small it starts and how large then it becomes as it grows. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. I don't know if I've ever seen a mustard seed. I'm sure some of you have, but it's really so small. The kingdom is like that which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. So it's pretty small. But when it grows, it's the greatest among herbs. And you know, Yahweh starts with little things, always. 
No, he told Gideon, keep carving your army down, 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 300 people, 300 soldiers ultimately. Don't need that many. You know, and all he had to do is make some noise out there and everybody runs away and thinks it's a big army coming. So you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to th- think man's way. Yahweh has his own way. And he starts small. The letters make up his name are the, the weakest letters of the Hebrew alphabet, the old, the hay, and the wah. They're the weakest letters, but they belong to the most powerful force ever known in the universe. So anyway, so he started small and it gets big. And it becomes the greatest among herbs, belong, uh, becoming a tree so that the birds of the, the air come and lodge in its branches. We get some pretty big weeds around here. I mean, they're, they like trees. They're, I mean, they're this big around. By the time, if you don't mow them down, come September, August, September, it's, you, can't, you can't even pull them out. And I imagine this is kind of like whatever he's talking about here. I've never seen a mustard tree or mustard plant, but uh, it's big, I guess. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the thing which Yahweh has prepared for them that love him. We haven't even fathomed, brethren, what it's all about. We kind of, well, we're, we're looking through a you know, dark glass. We don't see the whole picture. We don't see the, the uh, significance of so many things. We don't see the plan that Yahweh has and for our future. You ever had the, the uh, experience of driving through mountains it, it, it's really kind of neat because I love mountains. And uh, I know Rhonda goes through mountains when she comes up here, and others have come from the south going up uh, southwest and seen mountains. But you come around a curve, and you see this panorama open. It just takes your breath away. And I, I think that's kind of like the heavenly kingdom. It takes our breath away when we finally see it. Say, oh, man, I didn't know what I was in for. This is something else. You may not use those terms, but you'll just be bowled over. I know that. So you're just, this whole thing is opened up before you, and it just takes your breath away. And I've often thought, this is probably like the kingdom, when all of a sudden the panorama opens, and we learn what it's all about, and the plan Yahshua has for us to be in there and serving him. We look through a dark glass. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we can only see shadows and faraway images. And the significance is not always clear to us. But once everything comes into sharp focus, we'll see why Yahweh has us doing things like keeping unleavened bread, Passover, the feasts. When it comes to eating unleavened bread, the message from Yahweh was, do it because on this feast, Yahweh took Israel out of Egypt. He frees his people from the sin of the world, symbolically, Through the shed blood of the lamb. Think about the facts. The death of the firstborn occurred then. Blood on the Passover sacrificed by that lamb or whatever animal marked those found worthy to live. It protected them. Afterward, they could not stay. They had to leave the sin of Egypt. We have to make a commitment. Once we we had baptisms... This, this week. And once we make that commitment, we've got to leave Egypt. We've got to leave the sin and not return to it. They did so at night on a full moon. And I wonder, 
I wonder why he did that. Could it be because he didn't want the people to get the Egyptians all involved in what they were doing to get out of there, you know, slowing them down? And now what are you doing? Why are you grabbing that? Where are you going? I mean, what are you going to do with that? And, you know, all these people asking questions, he's going to wait till midnight, they're all asleep, and out they went. But it's not just like that because you're talking about upwards of maybe three million, two and a half, three million people. It'd be like moving the city of, what, Philadelphia? <laughs> it didn't, I mean, it took a little while. They had to be prepared, and that's why he says you, you do it with your staff at your hand, you get ready. Prepare, get your suitcase packed, grab the kids, the older folks, and uh, start marching eventually. So they did it at night. Led by the Spirit, they were baptized in the Red Sea. And on the last day, they were completely free of the Egyptian army. By those same waters that gave them salvation, Yahweh destroyed the Egyptian army of sin. Kind of like Yahshua. You know, he's living water. He saves us by his sacrifice. And yet, he also destroys the sin of Hasatan. The meaning of Passover in this feast is powerful, and it pictures what happens when a child of Yahweh makes a commitment to him. Many think that leavening represents sin. Others say it's wickedness and corruption. Still others maintain that leavening is doctrine, false doctrine. All of these have some truth. If you dig into it, you find out all of them are in many ways speaking of leavening. None is the complete truth on its, on its own, in itself. In Matthew 16, Yahshua had been in a discussion with the Pharisees and Sadducees about who he was. In verse 12, he says, Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they were way off base. They, again, were doing it man's way. And uh, they, they made up their own rules and, you know, added things to the law. Touch not, taste not, handle not. And when people get confused in the New Testament, they think he did away with the law. No, these were dogma. These were added laws. The, the Jews added to it. And that's what he eliminated by his death. Leaven can represent false doctrine. Mark eight fourteen. it says we have... Uh, now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship uh, with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So out of the blue, he said, I don't know if we don't have maybe all the text in this trans, the Greek, because out of the blue, he just says, uses this bread and says, Take heed, you don't, you know, of the doctrine of the of the." Uh, the Pharisees and the, so forth, of Herod. Well, the leaven of Herod refers to the Herodians, and that's referred to in, in uh, 3.6 as enemies of Yahshua. They were members of an aristocratic political group that uh, was tied really to Herod. And they were the ones that tried to get Yahshua, uh, trap him in not paying taxes to Rome. So they're mean guys. He said, don't, don't go that direction. Herod Antipas, remember, he was married to Herodias, and she uh, divorced her husband, Herod Philip. And uh, while he was in Rome and married Herod Antipas, his half-brother, and John the Baptist ultimately lost his head over because he objected to it. You know, the leaven metaphor here deals with 
an evil disposition, just not nice people. Hypocrisy as well in those trying to trap Yahshua. Hypocrisy, malice, wickedness. In fact, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, your glory is not good. And this probably was written during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, or, or about it anyway. And know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. So people become unleavened. He says, your glory is not good. For even Messiah, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You ever noticed how flat bread looks kind of humble? We got some in there. Look how humble it looks like. Low line, plain, nothing special, nothing hidden. Tooth-breaking, hardtack, basically, is what it is. And the opposite of a a grand four-layer cake that stands there proud, look at me. Look at me. These Corinthians were proud of themselves. Read 5.2. And so they were puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among them. Guy had his uh, relationship he shouldn't have had. And they were proud of it. Oh, we can tolerate that. Sounds like today, doesn't it? We can tolerate that. We're inclusive. So, leaven can refer to several things. Doctrinal error, hypocrisy, malice, wickedness, self-glory, insincerity, falsity, all of these things that make up what man in the natural state is. Besides erroneous teachings, it represents the heart of the natural man. Then why would Yahweh command leaven in the peace offering, you ask? And the wave lows for Pentecost. Certainly not for what leaven represented, but for what leaven can do. It starts with just a little and grows and grows and grows. You know, YRM early on, I don't know how many know this, but we consisted of about 12 people. And for a couple years, we met in our homes, basically the family, a few others, met in our homes or in public libraries. We met up here in Fulton and Jeff City and even went down to uh, Arkansas, Rogers, Arkansas. We have a library there. And our only outreach really was a simple website and a few tracks that we had managed to put together. We were all working outside jobs and did what we could at night and whatever. Brother Paul was there. He was diligently down in the basement. We had a little photocopier, and he's putting tracks together and working hard. And uh, we managed to produce things at night and Sundays while, you know, doing other things too. And eventually, we got enough to, to build this building here. But that didn't come about right away either. Starting at the far end there, I was telling some one brother that we washed our dishes in the women's sink over there, in the bathroom, Nice and uh, sanitary. Until <laughs> we finally realized, why is everybody getting sick? So we switched to plastic, and that solved that problem. But, uh, you know, I was kind of reluctant at first to do anything. Uh, resisting the prospect of going into debt. But son Ryan and son-in-law Randy had a bigger vision. They said, we need a building. We need a building. If we're going to do anything, we need a building, you know. 
Two very significant offerings came in about two weeks later from someone we never met, someone we've never seen again. But they were enough to get this thing started, get the foundation and get going. Didn't even ask for it. Here they come. Two nice checks. So Yahweh's answer was there, I felt, and let's go, you know. So we've been blessed having never made a bank loan, still haven't, but to put what comes in back out into outreach and have been doing that ever since. You know, it was kind of a humble effort, and we started, like I said, at that end, and we worked our way this way. This was a big storage area, just a big mess. Finally, as we got closer, the light, the, that, that children's room was our, well, let's see, first it was, we met in there, and then it became a library, and then, uh, then we moved, got to move in here. And uh, it was really wonderful to have an actual place, you know. But uh, very humble, very unleavened. But it started to grow. Lucas tells me today we have 50,000, 50,000 people on YouTube have signed up for YouTube, adding about 200 a day, a million views on Roku and some of our videos. I mean, Yahweh's working. Yahweh's working. So the baker, who kept back a little sourdough to leaven the next batch, we used to be like the same way, you know, to create a whole batch of believers from a small lump. The wave loaves represent the first fruits, which were leavened by just a little of what my grandmother used to call starter. Held back some starter and then used that for the next batch. The peace offering of Leviticus 7.13 was a celebration of a right relationship with Yahweh. That's what that was all about. Expressing good fellowship, gratitude, and obligation to him. Same thing we enjoy. No, we come together to break bread. Did you know that the word companion comes from eating bread? Com means with, and uh, uh, panos, I'm sorry, panis, a Latin word for bread. So when you're coming together for bread, it makes you companions. So what do we know about leaven? Well, as we said, it only takes a little, and it grows. Anciently and scripturally, dough was leavened by the use of a small clump already leavened, and that's why they didn't were not able to uh, not able to you know wait wait it out till it uh, you know fermented and made the bread rise. They just took it along and without it, part of uh, leavened dough was was saved and uh, used for planting more. Uh, bakery goods. Leaven works very slowly. It's a chemical process, really, of decay and uh, gives off gas, carbon dioxide gas, which makes it puffed up, and that's why your leaven bread has lots of little holes in it. It's all done by carbon dioxide. Leavening is a pervasive thing. When Israel was in Egypt, they were leavened by the heirs of Egypt. They lost a lot of things. They lost a lot of understanding. So in Exodus, Yahweh had to kind of reteach Brought in Moses, trying to reteach them things that they kind of forgot because they were so far afield. And we can do the same thing. We get leavened, you know, by the world, the heir of Egypt. But they did what Egypt did, naturally, as in Rome, you know. Now, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were about to start new lives free from the corrupting influence of that past life of Egypt. 
but they would not keep the feast in Egypt, Exodus 8.26. Moses says, I can't keep the feast here. I have to move on, which, when you think about it, those who keep the 15th Passover, they couldn't have done it back then because they couldn't have kept it in Egypt. They had to be out. They had to be moving. And three days later, they sacrificed Yahweh out in the wilderness. So it, could have, it had to be, Passover had to be on the 14th, not on the 15th, which is also the first day of unleavened bread. You know, society really influenced us in so many ways, so many ways, we don't even aware of it. You're not even aware of that. I watched my grandmother's bread, and I saw it rise, but I would keep sneaking in and looking and smelling, you know, as it started to. And you, you can't see it rise, but when you come back 10 minutes later, you notice, oh, it's getting a little bigger. Bit bigger. And so that's what uh, leavening does. It's kind of slow, but it permeates. It permeates. It's pervasive. If anything, this feast tells us that man's ways corrupt. You can be influenced just by being out in the world and absorbing by osmosis all the bad things out there. If you've ever been in the store on December 23rd, 24th, you come out sometimes humming those Xmas songs and you think, what? What's wrong with me? It's sticky. It sticks to you and you hardly get out of your head. You don't even think about it, but it's there. You know, so much of this, the sin of the world is that way. It's there, you're not even aware of it, till boom, it, it bites you. So, just by being lumped in with the rest, you absorb some of it. Our society, especially since World War II, has undergone dramatic and methodical change, corruption in many ways. Slowly but surely, a spiritual Change has been taking place. Leaven is insidious and it starts small. You ever been web browsing? You're, you're going to click on, you want to find something, you start clicking around. You click here and all of a sudden, oh, that looks interesting. You click there and, oh, I didn't know that. You click there and you end up way over here, not even, what was I on this for anyway? Oh, yeah, yeah, and you go back. One guy says, I learned, <laughs> I learned more from Google than I have my minister. And you know, it's, Really true. Like leaven, the influence of the world is everywhere. You can't change the world, but you can change your relationship to it. And some things you just can't get involved in. You just throw it out. We need to make a conscious effort not to get caught up in the secular trends of evil and so forth. We need to teach our kids the same thing. You go to churches today, and most of them, where do you find the kids? They're not there. They're home you know, working on their device. They don't go to church. They've lost it. That's the problem today, and what is that going to mean for the next generation? We're in trouble. Many people think it's strange when we examine the contents of food. You know, you walk by and they're looking, you're looking at it, and what's this guy doing? I think it's weird. Just, just as strange when we discriminate when it comes to a lot of what is packaged for mass consumption in entertainment, and in the media. Paul says to esteem others better than ourselves. This is the message Joshua brought, serving others. If there's one thing besides what he did for the uh, believer, there's one thing that he emphasizes, doing for others, doing for others, serving others. When you do it for the brethren, he says, you're doing it for me. 
I've already seen so many people jump to the aid of others here that need help doing whatever. Finding something, getting through a door, or, you know, I lost something, or whatever it might be. There's always somebody there to help. And that's what it's all about, serving the brethren. I always emphasize that during a feast. We find two words in the Hebrew translated leaven. The first is seor. By the way, that's where sour comes from. Meaning leaven, four times. And leavened bread, one time, actually means a leavened mass. We derive our word sour from that seor. Sourdough or fermented dough used to, of course, leaven more bread. The other word is chametz, meaning leavened bread. Do you know a lot of English words? I, I once uh, bought a book called The Hebrew Source of English. He goes through so many words that were Hebrew. Hebrew. Right on into the English, maybe with a little tweaking. So you got words like Sabbath, Satan, Messiah, Rabbi, Amen. All of these are Hebrew words. Maybe pronounced a little bit differently, but that's where they came from. Yahweh wanted nothing corrupt in sacrifices to him, which says a lot about our worship of him today, doesn't it? How in the world can anyone argue that it doesn't matter how we worship as long as our hearts are right? Your hearts can't be right unless you worship him correctly. It doesn't go that way. They're trying to reverse it. You can't do that. It's an unworkable contradiction. You simply cannot worship properly unless he's in your heart to do right, to follow him what he says. Unleavened bread is, or matzah was to be eaten for seven days, and no seor or kametz was to be found within the borders anywhere in the coast or land of Israel. Leaven is more correctly applied to, to solids, while ferment refers basically to liquids and solids. But it's a corruption, and that's the whole lesson here. It's a corruption of things. There are a number of ways that leaven can puff up a substance. And, and like I said, in the strictest sense, anything that, that puffs up by, by the action of a gas, expansion of gas. Spiritually speaking, we already made reference to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, which was written during, I believe, the feast. This passage is really central to us in the New Covenant as well. Here we find leaven working, in, working on two levels. The people were puffed up over their acceptance of this sin. Why did they accept it? That's, that's what my question is. There's something, something askew in that assembly. Of course, we know Corinth had a lot of problems, but uh, something wasn't quite right. Why did they accept it? They were from a pagan leaven past. This type of thing was part and partial of that culture they came from. There's so much baggage people drag in, you know, and it's hard to get rid of it. It's better, as one elder said, it's better to learn something brand new than try to unlearn something that you learned from the past and give it up. And that's why so many can't come to the truth, because they can't give up that past. The leaven of prideful tolerance was at work, and now the Corinthian assembly was puffed up. At the same time, Paul was concerned that this man's sin would spread. And that's what happens. If it's tolerated, oh, well, he was allowed to do it. I can do it. You know, the childish reason for doing something. 
Someone else is doing it, so I can do it. Johnny can do it. His dad lets him do it. But anyway, that's how leaven works. And uh, we go from toleration to complicity, which is always the danger when we decide to tolerate things that are sinful. Usually starts small and then grows. Well, unleavened bread is tough. It's hard to chew and swallow, and it's unpopular. But that's what we're chose, told to, to choose to eat this week. Something you learn from. It's been said that the truth of the sacred name is the most difficult doctrine to accept. Most people come through the avenue of the Sabbath. They realize Sunday ain't it. I got to keep the Sabbath, as we did. And then we learn more. Oh, the feast days. Feast days are important. They're right there, both Old and New Testaments. What's interesting is that Yahshua and the disciples not only kept them, but taught them as well. Okay, let's do that. Then you come on a little more truth. You realize that Yahweh has a name he commands that we use. Found almost 300 times in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Well, as a major face of Christianity and Judaism split and went down their separate well-paved roads, we, on the other hand, take the road Robert Frost said is less traveled by. The same road that Yahshua traveled was unpopular for doing so. They hated him. The Pharisees and Sadducees feared him because they feared for their positions because they heard that he was going to be a king. Oh, we've got to get rid of this guy, no matter what. At all costs, we've got to get rid of him. He's going to be a king, and where's that going to leave us, you know? I thought we're in charge. So I went down those well-traveled roads, and uh, he went down a different way. You know, being on the cutting edge means being out of our comfort zone. It's not easy to follow the truth. We all know that. It's not going to be popular. It's, it's going to run head-to-head against family, friends, thinking, where did you get off on anyway? What's this, you know? It's, it's a special calling, and that's why there's only few. Many are called, only few are chosen. It takes a special kind of person to be a trailblazer. But yet they get the rewards, the big rewards, Unleavened bread is hard. Standing on sound doctrine and sticking with scriptural principles, you won't always be popular, and less and less so as we see the world going the opposite direction. But you'll find uncommon blessings ultimately. Matthew 5.11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and you shall, and shall say in all manner evil against you falsely for my sake. John 15, 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too because you're following me. You're going to follow me, the persecuted one. We don't set the course. He does. We can't make it more palatable. We can't blend it with the world. That doesn't work. It doesn't work with Yahweh. We just do it our level best to follow. And that means we might lose friendships. We might even lose family. We've seen it. The truth may not be accepted in our environment, but when Yahweh calls, there's nothing else we can do. We have to follow him. We have to. And we have to do it all the way. 
all the way to the end. And all that will live righteously of Messiah, Yahshua, shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Remember, Luke 9.62, Yahshua said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and in looking back, like Lot's wife, is fit for the kingdom. You can't look back to Egypt. Once you leave, you've got to go forever and leave it. Egypt of sin. Yahweh's people don't dabble. We don't play at being religious. I'm not accusing anybody, but you know there's a lot of people out there that do. It's just a formality. They go there for a half hour, go home now. That's just business as usual, back to my life. No changes. Nothing learned, really. We don't dabble. The leaven of hypocrisy doesn't cut it with Yahweh. It's all the way or it's nothing. The word is crystal clear. We may not, you know, we may put nothing before Yahweh, he says. Nothing. I come first. The first commandment says you will have no other mighty ones before me. No other mighty ones. Why does he put that as number one? Because that is the biggest problem we have, putting other mighty ones before him, the idolatry of self. So we don't dabble. You know, the day is... uh, soon coming, that many will fail to stand. They will be forced to choose between Yahweh and their possessions, or they'll be unwilling to give up certain things in this life, like the rich young ruler who practically argued with Yahshua over his own salvation. Well, all that I've done. Yahweh says, keep, or Yahshua said, keep the commandments. I've done that. He's kind of arguing with him. Yahshua says, well, all right then. Here's one. Sell all you have. Well, I can't do that. That's what I have striven for all my life. I mean, this, I can't do that. I mean, be, on the, be a pauper walking around the streets with nothing? I mean, well, what did Yasha have? He said, I have nowhere to lay my head. <laughs> he, he, uh, of course, he uh, was figuratively speaking, you know, because he also had uh, places to go. Peter had a house. In fact, we went to Peter's house. What they say is Peter's house over in Israel and uh, went in there. It's kind of fascinating. You're walking back 2,000 years, you know, when you go into these places and it just boggles your mind to think about it. He convinced many. Yasha did. He had 12 close men who shared the joys, the defeats, the miracles, the trials, the good times, the bad. And yet, Yahshua died all alone. Nobody stood with him. Not one person stuck by him, afraid for their own lives, that they may be implicated in him and they might have to die too. Even Peter, three times, denied him. Peter said, I'll never deny you. You know, so many people, (laughs) through the years, sometimes what they say is not what they're going to do. You know that. When push comes to shove, it was too tough, like, Hard, unleavened bread. Oh, I just, I can't do it. I'm, I can't do it. <laughs> Coming up here this morning, you know, we, we always have rain on Passover. It's inevitable. You're going to have a rainy Passover almost like nine times out of ten. But I've never seen snow on the ground at Passover. We've had flakes of snow. But when I went over and saw Jim's tent over there covered with snow, I said, man, I got nothing to complain about. It was just... Uh, 
But he said he survived, so I'm glad. Nothing frozen, you know. But we've got to make a clear choice, and those are sometimes hard choices, hard decisions. Don't stop when you enter the body of Messiah. They just begin. <laughs> You're just now coming into boot camp. Just now coming into boot camp. And the Bible you're going to be studying is graduate school. So you've got to get on, you know, get on board and get with it. We ask those just coming to the truth, are you ready to make the tough choices? If you're not, then maybe you're not ready. I had a man, want to get baptized. Okay, Friday comes up. Well, I want to get baptized. Okay, meet me at such such a time. Comes back up. Ah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Comes back Sabbath. I want to get baptized. I said, really? For sure? Yep. Comes back an hour before. Eh, I think I better wait. <laughs> Guess what? Comes back again. I said, no, you're not ready. Unless you're convinced, unless you're firmly committed, that's what it takes. Because you can't be wishy-washy the rest of your life like this. When you make a commitment to Yahweh, you stick with it. In Hebrew, the bread of affliction is from the root anah, looking down, browbeating, abasing oneself. So we, we eat the humble pie, we eat the humble unleavened bread, and we realize that we got to humble ourselves. It's not popular. Go to the average grocery store and see where they can find matzos. Used to be downtown here, we had one that had a good section of, uh, you know, Passover stuff. It isn't there anymore. Practically have to order it online. I don't get it. One store in town, basically, that we found, and it's hardly there anymore. You find a little, but not like it used to be. Another brother was up in some town up north of here, and he looked all over, couldn't find it. That's the way it is. Unleavened bread's not popular. On the other hand, leavened bread is everywhere, stacked to the ceiling. Smells good, delightful pastries, bakery section, wonderfully delicious donuts and rolls and sandwiches in the deli and leavening is popular. It's soft, easy to chew, pleasing to the palate, you know. Doesn't require much effort to eat, soft and chewy. Goes down well, little effort, lots of delight. One of the brothers brings donut holes pretty much every uh, Bible study on Friday. Oh, those are good. Oh, my. And he's got different flavors. He's got raspberry and chocolate. And I just wait for the donut holes. Man, they're good. <laughs> I hope you're not getting in the mood for leavened bread. <laughs> Dumb. I shouldn't be talking like this. But it... But, you know, leavened bread, unleavened bread takes deliberate, <laughs> deliberate effort. It's not so popular, and we don't consume it for personal pleasure, but to fulfill the command of Yahweh. That's what we're doing. It means putting him first. Putting our desires off to put him first for a little humble pie. Popular doctrines are like soft, mushy dough. Easy to swallow, demanding little grace covers all. You're saved forever no matter what you do in this life. Really? You can stretch them and pull them and modify them to your lifestyle, just make everything custom fit for you. That's the world today. That's the religion today. Rather than the other way around, 
molding your life to Yahweh's teachings. We once thought nothing of going to church on Sunday morning and then hitting the McDonald's for lunch. We did that week after week. My sister remembers that. Week after week after week. Never gave it a second thought that this is a day of worship, supposedly in honor of Yahweh, and we don't do commerce on his day. We didn't know. Nobody told us, but it wasn't his day anyway, so I guess it really didn't matter because we were on the first day of the week. But, you know, worship is supposed to be exclusively for Yahweh. If we put him first, everything else should fall into place. If we had known at that time, we would not have been worshiping on that first day of the week to begin with. But true doctrines are not easy. And the truth is a sharp, two-edged sword. There's your uh, sourdough that I missed a while back. You know, the lesson of unleavened bread is, are you willing to sacrifice for the kingdom's sake? Are you willing to keep that in the forefront of your mind always, striving for the kingdom and all that it demands? Are you willing to give up the world, all of its goodies, that aren't really goodies, they're bad, they're bad for you, like a bunch of sugar. For the kingdom's sake, are you willing to do that? To adhere tenaciously to the truth, no matter what it takes. And if we learn more, we follow it. We've made some changes in our understanding of the word through the years, but you have to be able to follow the truth and not say, well, it doesn't matter, this is the way we've always done it, and this is our traditions, like the two major movements do. This is our tradition. That's what we stick with. Does that make any sense if you found wrong? We've been, we've been saying 2 plus 2 equals 5 for a long time, but, yeah, I, we, that, that's what we, you know, we've been doing it for so long, that's what we believe. You know? It doesn't make any sense at all. So we're, st- we're to, told to study to prove ourselves before Yahweh, hold fast to that which is good, and I would say that which is right. And uh, if we're doing something wrong, we want to know about it. And we'll study it out. Well, I pray this feast will be a blessing to you. I hope everybody goes, everybody goes to the uh, seminars because I think the, the brethren have really worked hard. And you'll learn a lot. Good to have a little bite to eat in the morning and then go to a seminar and learn some more spiritual food. Well, Yahweh bless you.